have your Bibles, go ahead and make your way to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 19, Old Testament. Don't feel ashamed or embarrassed if you have to use your table of contents to find your way there. No judgment, right? No condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you have to swallow your pride a little bit for the Old Testament and use your table of contents to find the book of 1 Kings, that is absolutely fine. If anybody laughs at you, you just let me know. And we'll have a talk after the service. And I can assure you it won't happen again. So 1 Kings chapter 19, that's where we're going to be at tonight. How many of you remember your first kiss? Some of y'all from the get-go tonight like, what kind of message we about to hear tonight? It's not typically one of those things that you forget, your first kiss. Why? Because kisses mean something to us. Or at least they should. Typically in our culture at least, a kiss is seen as a sign of affection most often times. But when you go back into the Bible days, so to speak, a kiss could also be seen as a sign of allegiance or abandonment. And so really, if you think about it, there's a lot of kissing in the Bible. They're like, man, what in the world is Trey doing tonight? He's asking about our first kiss. He's talking about all kinds of kissing going on in the Bible what kind of message are we about to get into? But there really is a lot of kissing that goes on in God's Word. Paul instructed the believers in Rome, for instance, to greet each other with a holy kiss. So, one of the, the new qualifications to be a part of our welcome team next semester when you guys come back is to stand at the door and give everybody a big smooch as they come in. But Paul instructed, as, as believers, greet each other with a holy kiss. Now, I understand different cultures, you're not going to get kissed. Uh, when you come into this place, unless you just want one, I mean, I guess we could find somebody. Kyle Conker would probably be happy to, to greet you with a holy kiss. Judas, Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. A sinful woman kissed the feet of Jesus as she washed them with her tears and anointed him with oil. The Israelites kissed the idol of Baal. And... Do we really even have to get started with Song of Solomon? Do we really even have to go there as far as kissing in the Bible goes? I don't think it's necessary. And so there really is a lot of kissing going on in the Bible. Which brings us to our passage for tonight in 1 Kings chapter 19. Elijah, who was a prophet of God, is pretty much at the end of his ministry at this point. We pick the text up tonight and God is instructing him on what to do next, and he gave him one thing in specific to do, and that was to anoint Elisha as his successor. Now, bear with me tonight, because Elijah, Elisha, they're close. We might interchange the two by accident, so give me some grace a little bit. But God instructed Elijah to go and appoint Elisha as prophet in his place. So that's where we are in 1 Kings chapter 19, starting in verse 18. God is speaking here and he says, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? 
And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. So as we're brought into this narrative, we see that God is placing this special calling on Elisha's life. But when we first meet him, he's standing at the back of the oxen plowing. Now, have you ever stood behind an ox or a cow for a very long period of time? It's a really foul kind of odor that just hangs around that area. And Elisha is behind the ox and he's working the plow. But you know, sometimes God wants to see your faithfulness in plowing the obscure, in plowing the stinky, in plowing the foul smelling behind the scene places before he moves you into plowing new territory for his kingdom. Amen? Sometimes he's got to see your faithfulness in the not-so-beautiful places before he will move you out to plow new territory for his kingdom. And so Elisha's working away when Elijah walks by and just casually throws his cloak on him. Now there's some weird things that go on throughout Scripture especially in the Old Testament. But just imagine you're walking around in the field one day and you're doing a little bit of farming and this cat comes walking through the middle of your crops that you just planted and you're like, hey, bro, hey, what are we doing? I just plowed that up. And as he comes walking by, he takes his coat off and he throws it on you. I mean, strange stuff in Scripture, right? Just imagine Elijah gave a little flinch. He's like, man, it just, just be raining coats out here. What in the world? What does it, it signifies something, obviously. And in those times, it was a symbolism of God passing on a ministry from one person to the next. And so the cloak, especially for a prophet such as Elijah, for him to take that off and cast it upon Elisha was symbolic of God's ministry moving from Elijah to Elisha. So it wasn't just like some senseless act that Elijah walked by and randomly threw his coat on Elijah. And Elisha would have known who he was anyway. Elijah was a well-known guy. I mean, he was a popular dude. It's not like some stranger walked up and threw his jacket on Elisha, and he was like, hey, dude, what in the world? Come back and get your jacket. He knew who he was, and so he recognized that as Elijah walked by and he throws his cloak upon him, that it was symbolic of God's calling upon his life. And so Elisha goes and he says, hey, let me, let me kiss mom and dad. And take care of some other things, and I'll come back and I'll follow you. And so Elijah tells him, all right, go and do your business. So he runs back, kisses his mom, kisses his dad, he burns up his oxen and the plows that he was using to plow with. And right here, I want to give you our message tonight. So help your neighbor out, look at him and tell them it's time to kiss it. It's time to kiss it. Tell your neighbor goodbye. Yeah, we're not, we're not trying to be ugly or anything like that. Although some of y'all might want to tell your neighbor to kiss it at some point in time, but we're just telling them to kiss it goodbye. So I already mentioned how during this time that a kiss could signal either allegiance or abandonment. And as we started, we read in verse 18. And God says, I'm going to leave 7,000 people in Israel. So here's the thing. It's a very, very dark Sinful time in the nation of Israel's history. All these people that turned towards the idol worship of Baal. But here's the thing about God. God always has a faithful remnant. 
So even in the darkest of times, God always has faithful people who are still following Him. So no matter how bad this world gets, even in our modern time, you can rest assured there are those that will still commit to following God, regardless of if everybody else is going to or not. Which crowd are you going to be a part of, by the way? So in verse 18, we saw that most of God's people had kissed Baal, which signified their allegiance to Him but also their abandonment of God. What you kissing, by the way? And so when when Elisha goes back and kisses his parents, it's something different. It reveals his allegiance to God's call on his life and his abandonment of everything else, including his family including his old means of living and provision. And as followers of God, most of us in this room have things in our life that we need to kiss goodbye, quite honestly. And I think God has given me some specific things for you guys tonight. And you might not find yourself in all of them, but everybody in here is going to find themselves in one of them. And those things are hindering us from full surrender, and they're hindering us from following God wholeheartedly so let's identify what some of the things in your life might be that God might be calling you to or will call you at some point in time to kiss goodbye and the first one is family dang it start out with a hard one when Elisha ran back and kissed his mom and dad goodbye he was showing his willingness to leave even family behind for the sake of following God and his calling now don't don't mistake Elisha's eagerness for easiness. Because he seems very eager, right? Elijah shows up, throws his cloak out there, and it lands on Elisha, and he realizes that God's placed a special calling on his life. And he says, hey man, wait right here, I'm going to go back, I'm going to kiss mom and dad goodbye, I'm going to burn up my old means of living. Amen. And when Jesus steps into your life, it's time to burn up that old way of living. And I'm going to be right back. And he seems very eager. And we should be eager to follow God's call on our life. But that doesn't mean that it was easy. It doesn't mean that it was easy for Elisha to go back and tell his mom and dad goodbye. I'm sure it was difficult. I'm sure there were a lot of tears shed. And the text doesn't tell us this. But you almost wonder, like typical good loving mothers would do, if she didn't grab a hold of her baby and was just like, No! Don't leave me! begging and pleading and Elisha's pulling away and she's grabbing a hold of his coat. She's like, no, come back. God, don't take my baby from me. But I don't think that was necessarily the case. I think Elisha had godly parents who recognized that this wasn't a call that they needed to prevent. It was a call they needed to support. And so Elisha is willing to forsake his family. That doesn't mean that it's easy and it doesn't mean that it will be easy in your life either. But are you willing to kiss family goodbye in order to follow God's call on your life? This was an expectation that Jesus gave in the Gospels. Whoever is not willing to leave behind father and mother and brother and sister is not fit for the kingdom of God. So it's an expectation that Jesus has upon our lives. And the reason why I speak this out tonight is because I truly believe God is going to call some of you in this room to do this very thing one day. And I don't say that to scare you. I say that to hopefully help prepare you. 
that God might have such a grand calling on your life that it might require you to leave behind family in order to pursue it. And I want you to be ready. I want you to be willing. I want you to have a faith that's strong enough that when that time comes, you say, hey, Mom, Dad, I love you, but I got to go. I got to go. And it's okay, right, if your mom and dad love Jesus because, you know, we'll be reunited one day. And I think at this point we might be tempted to think it's quite a cruel thing God's asking of us. And it seems like that, right? Come on, God. I'm a, I'm, I'm a big family guy, and it would kill me if God was to lead me and Ashley to do ministry somewhere else. It would kill me to leave my family behind. It would kill me to leave you guys behind. But when God comes knocking, I'm going following. But it would hurt. And it would be difficult. And it seems like, God, why would you do such a cruel thing to pry Elisha away from his family? God, why would you do such a cruel thing to pull believers today away from their family to go across several different continents to go serve somewhere else so they may never see each other again? And it seems so cruel. But I want you to remember something. He was willing to kill his son for your sake. Are we so selfish that we wouldn't kiss our family for his? Some of you might need to kiss goodbye to your family. Second thing, that God might call you to kiss goodbye one day, maybe even in the near future, and that's your J-O-B, your job, those of you that can't spell no, I hope that you can at this stage in life. Elisha, he didn't just kiss his family goodbye. He also burned up his oxen and his plows. And so you understand what that meant, right? That was his way of living. That was his way of providing for himself and providing for his family. That was putting food on the table the next day. And you got to put food on the table the next day, right? There's bills got to be taken care of. But Elisha goes back and he burns them all up. He sets them on fire. And he left it behind, even though that's what he had always known. He left that behind to go into something that he didn't know exactly how it would work out. But one thing he was sure of, and it was what God was calling him to. Coincidentally, Jesus said to the crowds that were following him one day, he said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So Elisha realized, hey, this old way of life, it might be a temptation for me to come back to one day if it doesn't seem like what God's calling me into is working out in the near future. So he said, better to just burn that thing down completely so the temptation doesn't even exist. What do you need to burn in your life? Are you willing to kiss your job goodbye if God asks you to do it? When me and Ashley were getting ready to be wed in holy matrimony, I was the kind of guy that was like, man, we're going to be financially stable. We're going to have jobs. Marriage is hard enough to jump into debt and to not be able to support yourself. And so I thought, we're going to be responsible about this, and we're both going to have jobs. So I got out of college. I got a good job at Southwire over here in Industrial Park. Ashley was graduating with a nursing degree, and she had something already locked up at ECM, so we were good to go. Got the ring, asked the question. She said, yes, of course. And we were ready to go. Everything's going like it should be right now. And then God showed up with a calling. And two months before our wedding date, Trey quit his job. 
That's good premarital advice. <laughs> Not. But I wouldn't have done that if I wasn't so sure of what God has called me to do. And Elisha was sure of one thing, and it was what God was calling him to do. And so I quit my job, not knowing exactly what was ahead. But can I testify something a little bit tonight? God has been faithful. We didn't miss a meal. We didn't have an empty fridge. We didn't go belly up on a house. We just bought a house too. So here's good premarital advice. Get you a job. Guys, get you a job as a good cover-up so your girl thinks you're responsible and you got things going in your favor. Once you get her to say yes, everything's sewn up. Then you go and quit that job, buy a house, change majors. But can I tell you, God's been faithful the whole way. And he always will be to those who are faithful to follow his calling upon their life. God ain't going to call you into something and then leave you belly up in it. He's been faithful all the way through, but would you be willing? Would you be willing to, to look at your job and kiss it goodbye for the sake of following God? Third thing. I think this one hits home in a big way. Let's talk about it. Personal goals. God, I might be calling some of y'all to kiss goodbye to your personal goals as it pertains to selfish ambitions and desires. Let me clarify that. As it pertains to selfish ambitions and desires that we may be seeking to attain. There's nothing wrong with setting goals, ladies and gentlemen. There's nothing wrong with having dreams. There's nothing wrong with wanting to accomplish things. But I just want you to ask yourself something. If God called you to change course in a way that made those things un obtainable, how would you respond? They didn't hear it. I'm going to say it again. If God called you to change course in a way that made those goals, those dreams, those accomplishments unobtainable, how would you respond? Because your response says a lot about your relationship. Would you receive it? Would you reject it? Would you resent God for it? Some of you might not reject it. You're like, oh, I would receive it. But on the inside, you'd be like, God, bless America. Why now? I got all the stuff I'm going to do. I got all this thing planned out. And I got this five-year plan and a ten-year plan. And I, man, some things are going good in my corner. You're going to come in, but I'll do it. Would you resent it? And for some of us, because it is hindering you, God's calling you to kiss your goals goodbye. I've been through this. I can speak to experience in this. I had goals, I had dreams, I had ambitions, and every one of them centered around one person, and that was me. I was going to be a major league baseball player. That was it. I was headed down that path. But can I tell y'all, when God showed up and rearranged and reprioritized my life, I would not sacrifice one minute of what I do now for one pitch on a major league diamond. Not one. I mean, can I say, if we put the same amount of passion into pursuing God's desires as we did our own, the church wouldn't go so long in between baptisms. We wouldn't wander out Wondering when the next time we're going to see somebody's lives transform. 
We'd start seeing families changed a whole lot more often. We'd start seeing relationships restored on a more consistent basis. Some of us need to take your misplaced passion and put it back into the right thing. Some of us will take a hundred swings a day at a ball sitting on a tee. We'll never pick up our Bible. Some of us will spend hours applying of, for a job, but not one second in prayer. Some of us spend weeks sharing ideas with a study or project group, but never once share Jesus. I know I'm picking on y'all, right? They're like, come on, Trey, when is it going to hit home for your life? Okay. Some of us will spend a whole day fishing, but not take one second to consider fasting. There. You happy? Now nah, it's personal for everybody. If God called you to change course in a way that made your current goals unobtainable, how would you respond? David had goals. He came up with this idea one day. He said, man, I want to I build God a temple. That sounds ambitious, right? That sounds good. That sounds like a God thing. God, I want to build you a temple. He's sitting around in his big palace, and he looks over there at the Ark of the Covenant, which signified God's presence in those days. It's sitting like in a cardboard box. He's like, why well, I got this nice house? And God's ark over there has got a cardboard box to sit in. I'm going to build God a house. I'm going to build God a temple. And he had this buddy, Nathan. He was a prophet. And he said, Nathan, I got this idea. I'm going to build God a house. And Nathan says, man, that sounds awesome. Go for it. But the next night, God gave Nathan a dream. He said, that's not needed. That's not necessary. I haven't called David to do that. Actually, i got a son that's going to come along the way, and he's going to build me a house. So Nathan had to show up the next day and say, hey, David, man, that plan sounded good at first, but God's got other plans. He's got other goals. He's got other dreams. He's going to use your son to build his temple one day. You know what David did? He didn't get all jacked up about it. He didn't get all disappointed or upset or frustrated by it. He praised God for it. Man, God changes your goals. You don't need to get mad about that. You need to praise him for it because he's going to send you down a path where you experience something so much more greater than you could ever experience setting your own plans, your own goals, your own dreams, your own ambitions. Amen? Let's get to the next one. What's the next thing God might call somebody in this room to kiss goodbye? How about relationships? But it just keeps getting worse, doesn't it? How about relationships? Some of you in this room tonight, man, you got some bad, toxic relationships in your life. And I ain't talking about boyfriend, girlfriend stuff. I'm talking about just the people that you hang out with on the weekends. And honestly, you know, I think this might be the greatest hindrance in the life of a believer who's trying to wholeheartedly follow God. Can I tell you all something? You take on the character of your company. It's just this natural inclination that we have within us as human beings. You might not necessarily mean it, but it's going to happen. You're going to take on the character of the company that you keep. So can I encourage y'all, surround yourself with people who help you follow Jesus. Don't surround yourself with people who hinder you from following Jesus. Now I wasn't even going to go here, but I'll speak to the dating thing a little bit. Girls, can I just tell y'all, if he doesn't have any interest in hanging out with you until after 10 o'clock and it's always at your place, you don't need to be with that no more. What's the next thing, though? A couple more. We're about to get through it. 
One more thing God might be calling you to kiss goodbye is inadequacy. Everybody say inadequacy. Good, it's making sure y'all are still awake. When Elijah threw his cloak on Elisha, Elisha didn't pull out his excuse list of reasons why he couldn't do it. And some of y'all, God's placed a calling upon your life and all you're doing is giving excuses about why you can't. And it would have been easy for Elisha to do that, right? He could have rattled off any number of reasons why he couldn't have followed in Elijah's footsteps. You ever read all the stuff that Elijah did? Go read the book of 1 Kings sometimes. You want to follow in that shadow? Let me know. Elisha didn't give excuses about why he couldn't follow. He didn't give excuses why he couldn't step into the calling that God had placed upon his life. God has a plan that He'll lay out for you, and you may feel inadequate. Let me rephrase that. God has a plan for you, and you will feel inadequate. But your inadequacy is incapable of keeping God from using you. It can't stop Him. The only person inadequacy cripples is you. And so you need to kiss your feelings of inadequacy goodbye. And if you need a little encouragement in this, the Bible is full of inadequate people that God used to do impossible things. Moses was a murderer. Rahab was a prostitute. David was an adulterer. Paul was a persecutor. Samson was prideful and a womanizer. Jonah was an idiot. Jacob was a liar. Peter denied. Gideon was a doubter. So can I make this recommendation to you? How many of you would openly admit to struggle with inadequacy? This is one of my greatest struggles in my entire life. I'll admit it to you guys. Can I, can I give you a little, a little help? Flip it to your advantage. Flip your inadequacy to your advantage. Because your inadequacy is just a gateway through which God can do the impossible through you. One more. One more. One more thing God might be calling you to kiss goodbye. Either now or in the future. Are y'all cringing a little bit? You're like, I don't know if I can handle it anymore. God might call you to kiss goodbye to your comfort. The text tells us that Elisha had 12 yoke of oxen he was plowing with. So essentially, there were 24 of them, two in each yoke. And this lets us know, really, that his family was probably pretty well off financially, especially during this hard time in the nation's history. So Elisha, man, he had family, he had finances, and he had food when nobody else had anything else. He had all the comforts that he needed, but he quickly left those comforts behind. Are you willing to kiss your comforts goodbye? And you should be if it is preventing you from following God. Now, I'm not telling everybody in here to go and sell all your shoes, sell all your clothes, get rid of your house or your apartment and go live on the streets and beg. I'm not saying anything like that. God has blessed us to live in such a place where we don't have to suffer in that way. But we all have an abundance of comfort that we could really do without. 
And what if God showed up one day with a calling upon your life that required you to leave those things behind? Could you do it? Because let me tell you one thing that I've learned about comfort. Comfort can cause you to cling. It can cause you to hold on to the things that you've known your whole life and you don't want to do or go without. And I know you might want to argue with me a little bit because you're like, no, Trey, that ain't right because God's a God of comfort. And I would agree with you. But that doesn't mean that He will make your life comfortable. God is a God of comfort to those who are willing to leave comfort behind. Because comfortable people don't need comforting. Only those that suffer. Only those that sacrifice. Only those that are willing to give up these things. Only those that are willing to kiss all these things goodbye to follow the call that God has placed upon their life. Then he will be your God of comfort. When all was said and done, look at the very last part of the verse that we finished up with tonight. In verse 21, the text says, Then he kissed mom and dad, burned up his oxen and his plows. Then he, being Elisha, arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Man, I think a lot of us have got to kiss some things goodbye in our lives. And if you haven't had to yet, you might have to in the near future. But after you do that, you've got to do like Elisha. And then you've got to get up. And you've got to go after God's call on your life. So what do you need to kiss goodbye in order to follow your calling.